Hello and welcome back to the Karma Comment Chameleon Podcast, where we cover stories from your favorite subreddits like Tales from Tech Support, Pro Revenge, and today's Malicious Compliance. Let's jump right in. This story comes to us from Brains Admirer. You want his car? Take his other crap first. My partner, Carl, and I were friends at first, and when he lost his house due to bankruptcy, he came to live with me. He had no job, lived in poverty, on a disability pension, of which he gave his ex half, for 14 years since his wife left. In contrast, I owned my own house, had a successful business, and was pretty independent. He was very handy around the house and loved puttering, talking with the neighbors, and had a great sense of humor. He was clean and very easy to live with. We were together for 10 years. We treated each other well, but he had no rights to anything I owned and vice versa. I stayed away from his family drama as best I could. Carl had two adult kids, Margot, 28, and Todd, 35. The kids never visited their father, ever, and when he called them, they rarely picked up or returned his calls. If they did pick up, they brushed him off or dismissed him entirely. I felt bad for him, but what could I do? They were like that for years before I met him. They were rude and nasty people, but he loved them and couldn't understand why they didn't have time to talk to him. Carl died suddenly one evening at 58. He had been in poor health and finally his heart just gave out. Not 12 hours after he died, Margot called to ask if he had any life insurance. For a nanosecond, I thought that she was concerned about my finances, handling the burial, etc. But no, she told me that according to their mother's separation agreement, he was supposed to keep life insurance on himself, and she and Todd were to be the beneficiaries. I guess he never told her that once she turned 18, he had cancelled his life insurance because he was on disability and could not afford it. He may have tried to tell her during one of those phone calls, who knows. Later the same day, Margot called and asked if he had a will. She told me that she had already been to a lawyer, this was the day after he died, and that because she suspected Carl didn't have a will, she would be his next of kin. She would be taking over the burial arrangements, etc. And she was the beneficiary of all of his stuff in my house, including his car, which was a used car, but still newer than hers. I was pretty upset by the timing of all of this and couldn't believe they could be this mean and cruel so soon after he died. He was their dad and he loved them. She then told me she would be doing a walk through my house to be sure I didn't miss anything of his. That was where I said, no, you won't. Margot was really pissed about my refusal to let her into the house and to take the car that same day and conveniently forgot to tell me where they were having the funeral. She didn't put it in the paper, and she only told special people where it was. I found out later it was three towns away, but she did let me know repeatedly that they wanted the car and all of his stuff out of my house. I knew that once she came to take the car, she would not be back to get the rest of his stuff, which she knew was nothing of any value. I would be left to get rid of a monumental amount of stuff at my expense. Cue malicious compliance. Now, dear Carl was a hoarder, and I mean that in the true sense of the word. Even if something was broken, useless, outdated, or worn out, he kept it. So, he had four old-style TVs, 
six giant toolboxes, eight computers, two dead barbecues, a floor model drill press that he was going to fix, a bandsaw he found in the dump, six stereo components, none of this stuff ever worked, he was saving them all for parts, plus 198 boxes of metal parts from odd machines, trucks, cars, bulldozers, and buses that he salvaged and collected over the years. It was all in the garage, which he thought of as his man cave. 198 very heavy boxes. Guess they were packed quite full. Plus, the pride of his collection, a 60-year-old 5-ton metal lathe that Noah used to construct the Ark. So, I parked his car at the very back of my two-car garage, then shoved all of the boxes and stuff in front of it, so that it was impossible to remove the car without taking everything out in front of it, including the metal lathe. It took two weeks and a lot of effort, but the garage was packed to the roof. I took a picture of the garage with the doors open. Margot and Todd soon started screaming to their lawyer that I was not cooperating in regards to the car. I responded that I needed to see a legal document that the car was in fact legally theirs, registered into their name, and properly insured. In case they drove it away, I didn't want to be held liable. I also needed to have the rest of the stuff taken away. Plus, I had just had my driveway paved, so they had to have proper movers come to get his stuff, not just a couple of yahoos in a pickup that would damage the new driveway. They said they would after they got the car. Their lawyer screamed that I was stalling and refusing to give up the car. He even went so far as to accuse me of selling the car. I sent the picture I had taken of the garage to my lawyer, proving that I still had the car. My lawyer said, where is it? I said, you can just barely see the roof, but it is there behind the boxes. He got a good laugh out of that. So Margot and Todd had to hire a moving and storage company to come and collect Carl's precious stuff. The metal lathe took four men and a special small tow motor machine thing to take it away. It took all day for them to empty that garage. I asked where were they taking it and they said to a storage unit. The head mover said something to the effect that there was no way this was going to fit in the one storage unit they had rented. Oh well. So, in the end, the cost of the movers was $14,000, I heard this from his best friend, and who knows what the storage units cost and for how long they rented them. Perhaps they recouped some of the money they spent from selling scrap metal. Oh, right, I almost forgot. They also had to pay for his funeral. Turns out, I did have an insurance policy on him that I paid for and had planned to use for his burial. But since I wasn't told where the funeral was, I used the money to pay off my mortgage. It would have cost them nothing to be nice to the woman that looked after their dad for 10 years. Jumping down to the comment section on this one, there's one from a user called Everelli. It says, This was a beautiful story. I'm sorry you lost your partner. I'm glad his precious children got all his worldly goods out of your garage for you. OP responded to this one and said, Thank you. He was a nice guy who had a lot of bad breaks. And then, his ex kicked him when he was down. His two kids, though, they were something else. To make this situation even more tragic for OP, they mentioned in a comment down below that their mother had just passed six weeks before this. So, wow, what a tough summer. Unfortunately, money brings out the worst in people, or even the thought of money can really bring out the worst in some people. 
They didn't care about their dad, they cared about what he had. And that to me is extremely sad. <laughs> I'm a poet and I didn't know it. This story comes to us from Covers by Richard. This has got to be the fourth or fifth time I've asked you to do this. No, actually, you asked me once per my records that you asked me to start keeping since my performance review. I had a performance review on July 1st, and my boss told me that I have a hard time keeping track of tasks. It's really not my fault, since the company is too cheap to invest in a task management solution. We literally have to go off massive email chains and when you have 30 people CC'd in an email with 25 of them not knowing the difference between reply and reply all, you end up with a lot of crap getting lost in the mix. Anyway, my boss told me that I needed to start keeping track of everything. Everything you say? Every phone call, every email, every bit of communication for every gosh darn task. With timestamps because apparently I am very forgetful and don't get anything done. I'm normally never this petty, but he gave me bad remarks across the board, so I figured, you know what? I ain't going down without a fight, especially when I'm being blamed for something that is not entirely my fault. Also, I know I am very effective as an employee because I get things done, but my boss doesn't seem to know that. So I spent the July 4th weekend developing a simple task manager to be used by only me. Every VonEdge phone call gets automatically logged. Every email I receive saved as a PDF and time stamped. Time received, time opened, time that I completed reading the email. Got a package you're sending me? I'm logging that crap too. Time the UPS or FedEx driver delivered it. Time I brought it into the house. Time I opened the package time I threw out the package. I don't care if it takes me an extra hour each day. I'm logging everything. So today, he emails me saying, this has got to be the fourth or fifth time I've asked you to do so-and-so task. It was my effing time to shine. I responded with this. Boss's name. In regards to the task in question, I have received the following communication. Tuesday, July 25th, 2023, 11.18 a.m., Phone call received from boss phone asking me to complete this task. Tuesday, July 25th, 2023, 12.08 p.m. Task sent for review. Confirm task pending review with your assistant. Emailed boss email reminding him that the task was pending review. Friday, August 4th, 2023, 11.01 a.m. Email received from boss email asking me if this is the fourth or fifth time asking me to complete this task. Friday, August 4th, 2023, 11.02 a.m., confirm with boss's assistant that the task was still pending review. Friday, August 4th, 2023, 11.03 a.m., confirm with boss's assistant that the task was never reviewed by boss. Friday, August 4th, 2023, 11.04 a.m., re-forwarded email to boss from July 25th, 2023, 12.08 p.m., reminding him that the task was pending review. You asked me once and it was completed within the hour. If you asked me about this task four to five times, I would have told you three to four times that it was already pending review because it was completed the first time you asked. Asking me to keep a record of everything was a great idea because now I know that I am not the problem here. I haven't heard back from him since. Jumping down to the comment section on this one, there's one from a user called IcyJournalist7539. It says, this is amazing, but I'm dying to know more details on your system. 
Like, are you manually saving those emails with the details in the file name? Got an automatic solution? Something else? OP responded to this one and said, Vonage has an API that you can use. They allow you to build your own call center software. So I used that and logged in myself to pick up and dial out every time I answer or dial. I have it so it logs the timestamp into an SQL database, along with who I spoke with, their extension and phone number, any notes associated with the call, along with the GUID of the call, so I can listen back to the recording that Vonage stores for 30 days. For tracking emails, I have my client set up so each incoming and outgoing email gets logged into my SQL database. Outlook client has a lot of tools that people don't know about. For any messages coming in through Microsoft Teams, I have to manually enter some data because there is no way to feasibly identify what is and isn't a task. What's cool is with their API, I can make all the fields fill out automatically. I just need to identify what is and what isn't a task. For any text messages coming to my personal phone, I just tell them to email or call or Teams me because that is not a company approved method of communication. The executives don't like employees using personal phones for work purposes. FedEx and UPS has an API for me to get the delivery date and time. I just need to have a tracking number and I just periodically have the software go and check for updates. Once the package is marked as delivered, it's up to me to mark when I opened it and when I threw out the packaging. Cause you know, he wanted me to log everything. I hardly get work related packages, so it's nothing major to me. I just did this portion for fun. All else, I do manual entry. SQL database and software is running on a local machine in my home office. I use a map drive to run it on my work computer. OP sounds pretty darn smart here. These are things that I probably wouldn't have figured out on my own. <laughs> but I do think that OP might want to polish up their resume because they made the boss look bad and the boss isn't going to like that. So they're probably going to find a way to get rid of OP now. I would be preparing for that right away. This story comes to us from Icy Bison 13. You want at least 1,000 words? I can give you at least 1,000 words. My workplace has a mandatory two-day orientation for new hires. When I was brought on, there were a bunch of scheduling issues and the dates changed several times. I got confused and only attended one of the days as I didn't realize it was a two-day event. About a month after getting hired, I get an email from HR. Hello, our records indicate you were not present for the first day of mandatory employment orientation. Here is the link to the event recording. Since you missed attending in person, you are additionally required to write a minimum 1,000 word reflection on the most impactful session. For some reason, the minimum 1,000 word requirement made me see red. I was a fully grown adult being treated like a high schooler, made to write lines on the board because I missed class. I could understand making me watch the orientation, even though I had been doing my job just fine for four weeks, but do something reasonable like some very specific fill-in-the-blank questions just to prove I watched it. A 1,000 word minimum was just gratuitous. So I stewed over it for about a week. Then, one night, after a few drinks, it hit me. The only requirement was that it was at least 1,000 words, along with some specific questions. I reread the email and confirmed. They did not give any restrictions on a maximum length, nor any instructions on formatting or context beyond those questions. I cracked open my laptop, 
found the longest presentation from the orientation, and got to work. I set about essentially writing a line-by-line -line transcript of a 50-minute presentation. I rambled for pages about anything from the signing of the Declaration of Independence to my favorite childhood camping trip. By the end of it, my magnum opus sprawled for an impressive 12 pages. I answered each of the required questions with a single sentence and buried them randomly throughout my pages of unhinged ranting. I then set the font size to 8, single-spaced it, and changed the font to Webdings to ensure that HR could not just change it back to readable font or reliably use Control f to find the questions. I also printed it, scanned it, and sent it as an image file. The next morning, I get an angry email from HR. Good morning, I'm informing you that your submitted reflective essay is completely unacceptable. Please resubmit it as a Word document with size 12 times New Romans font, double-spaced. Failure to do so will result in an immediate disciplinary meeting with the VP of HR. I simply replied, I apologize that I misunderstood your instructions. If you could please show me where in your original email you outlined the formatting requirements, then I will gladly resubmit it in the proper format. I've worked at this company for almost two years now. I have yet to even see the VP of HR, let alone have a disciplinary meeting with him or her. I recently ran into a brand new employee who also managed to miss his orientation. According to him, HR was very specific that his response was to be no more than 1500 words in size 12 times new Roman font. Jumping down to the comment section on this one, we have one from a user called Icy Silver Dragon. It says, If I was the HR person, I'd bust up laughing, mark it as complete, and go on my way. Sometimes HR people need to take a chill pill, or 100, and relax a little. A plus on your malicious compliance. Most rules come from situations where people didn't think that a rule was needed, but because OP came around, they figured out they needed a couple more rules when asking people to write out their essay. Honestly though, if they're gonna treat you like a child and make you write out lines like that, then of course you can act like a child. 